Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Mr. Speaker Speaks. You know, it's the place to be. It's here where people share their stories to help inspire and motivate others. And we do it because this is the show that educates, stimulates, and rejuvenates your mind. We have interactive, deep dialogue, stimulating, candid conversations. Learn more about Mr. Speaker at VincentTEdwards.com. That's VincentTEdwards.com. Want to grow professionally, personally, and spiritually? Hey, just join the online community at VincentOnDemand.com. It's where you get exclusive access to seminars, trainings, videos, and much more to help you pivot into your purpose with power and precision. You know, life is all about purpose. Today, Mr. Speaker has the pleasure of speaking with Holly McPhail, the chief strategist and creator for Windwood Communications. Oh, it's going to be an excellent, excellent show. We're going to go where the wind takes us today. Today's show is brought to you in part by Program Success, your source for professional news and information. Program Success Magazine spotlights the success of individuals who have excelled in their arenas of expertise in order to inspire, encourage, and enhance the lives of others. Aspiring greatness. More information is available at ProgramSuccess.net. Program Success, the name says it all. Like always here on this show, we go into prayer. Heavenly Father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I come to you today just to say thank you. Because of your many blessings, because of your grace, because of your mercy, we're able to be here today. And Lord, we realize that in this life, it's not about us, but it's about how we can live and help others and serve others. Because you said, if you want to be great, you have to serve. And Lord, keep us with a serving heart a serving mind and give us opportunities to serve so that others will see you living in us. Now, father, I just ask for your presence to be a part of this show. Like always here on Mr. Speaker speaks, open up the hearts, the minds and the ears of our listeners so that they will hear clearly and understand and walk away with something that is life changing, something that will help them to live better, something that they can share and help change the lives of others. And Lord, look on my guest today. Always be with Holly. Let your hand be upon her. Show her favor in all that she does. Bless her in her endeavors that she will be successful with anything that she does with Winwood Communications. And we will give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our inspirational, our inspirational verse of scripture comes today from the book of John, the third chapter and the eighth verse. And the word we reads, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. John 3 and 8, talking about where the wind blows. And my guest today is Holly McFell, the chief strategist and creator for Winwood Communications. 
She is a communications professional experience in government relations industry, skilled in social media strategy, inbound marketing, community outreach and engagement, local government and nonprofit management. Where you want to go with your company if you need a strategy. Let Winwood Communications take you there. Holly, that's the short of it. But we're going to talk about the long of it. How are you doing today? Well, first, let me thank you um, for inviting me to be on this show. And, and what a great scripture to start with. Um, it kind of gave me chills because there's a term that really inspires me um, and my business and kind of how I came up with the name for it. It's called stitherism. And it's the sound that wind makes when it's blowing through trees or through the woods, um, thus wind would. And when I heard you share that scripture, I remember that that's one of the, the reasons why um, I chose the name that I chose. Because like a whispering wind, you might, not, you might not see it all the time, but you feel its effects. And so is a great story, um, just as the scripture has provided for us. So thank you for, for starting that way and, and for inviting me to be on the show with you. Oh, it's truly a pleasure to have you. And you are welcome. I just, I love the name Winwood Communications. And I looked at it and I look at your logo and the tree, it looks like it's blowing and the wind is just taking the leaves. And it just uh, wants me to ask you this question. Where do you take your clients? What are the services that are provided uh, by Winwood Services? So when you look at the logo and you see that wind, if you look a little bit closer, you'll see that it's actual digital wind is what I like to call it. Because what we specialize in addition to program development and persuasive messaging really is digital strategy. How do you build community online and in real life? Usually clients that I work with and I do specialize in nonprofits and, and local governments or, or small businesses that have a um, a dedicated track record to investing in either community development or kids, because in my book, when you invest in kids, that is community development. Um, so it, how, how do you balance what you do in a classroom or an after-school program um, or in some sort of community outreach effort? How do you balance that in this ever-changing digital world from social media strategy to understanding um, web design and something called user experience, as well as search engine optimization. And lately, in times of COVID, I've been helping a lot of our clients um, transition from in-person meetings to these online platforms, whether it is a virtual conference or town hall meeting, how folks can come together in very meaningful ways across platforms like Zoom or Teams or, or even Facebook groups um, and still make those connections that really bolster the conversations to continue offline after they've occurred online. So that's the premise of, of digital strategy and it's embedded as an integral component of any solid communications plan for any organization, no matter how large it is. So Fortune 500 companies or, you know, the $100,000 or less nonprofit entity, how you create your digital presence online um, can make or break your success for sure. And that's what Winwood is all about, helping you do that successfully. In this age of 
being digital and, and online, how challenging is it to have a good, viable digital footprint? That's, you know, a great question. Oftentimes people think digital footprints or digital marketing is similar to some of our traditional methods, right? So say you're hosting an event or you have an organization and you want to get your your name out there. Um, Traditional media um, might lean towards some of different methods or, or public relations where you might try to write an article or get something published in a newspaper, well, we know that newspaper readerships are, are down and more and more people are turning towards blogs. So how, how can you find those relationships? Some traditional media might say, let's host a billboard or buy an ad for a magazine. Again, um, billboards communicate this concept of one to many, whereas a, uh, a, an ad on social media can be targeted to a very specific individual or group of people. So the the shifting ways of how we reach people and the messages that are going to resonate with them have have dramatically changed um, over the course of the years. And it's not the the same methods of reach that it used to be. And it's also not a, hey, we need a website check. Hey, we need a social media profile check. Oftentimes people think they should just post things willy-nilly out there um, into the digital space and not thinking about its impact. So one of my favorite things that I get to do, because I'm a little bit of a data nerd, I've gone through the, um, the different algorithms that our major platforms like Facebook, like Google, like YouTube use to cultivate and create and present content to a user so that as um, and as a company, a small business, a nonprofit, you understand how those mechanics work so that you can leverage the decisions and investments into each of those platforms um, most effectively. Oftentimes, right, like I, my client list doesn't include, you know, Wendy's, which has some of like the best digital um, and social media strategy and what I like to say is snark out there in the world. I'm not working with the Wendy's of the world. They, they have plenty of, of individuals that are out there and can afford to, quote, pay to play. Mm. What I want to do is help the little guy, right, help that nonprofit, help that, that business that's just starting off, help them understand how these digital platforms work so that they can be, um, that they can find their niche and, and leverage and amplify what they're doing the most effective and, and for the lowest cost possible. So, for example, one of my, um, one of the companies that I'm working with, um, small business that I'm working with, they um, are, are new to the space that they're in, and, and they're a local company, and they're up against, in a digital sense, these, these big companies that have been in the space for a very, very long time. So they're able to, I, I'm able to provide them search engine optimization um, audits and training to, to help them understand that a website is not just a website. You have to look at things like title tags and metadata and alternate text for images to really leverage the way that the algorithm works. Um, and I geek out over this stuff, and I hope that my passion and excitement for digital platforms comes through because what what I try to to balance for everyone 
is that in a digital space, the computer bots that dictate how things are displayed on, say, like when you type a, a query into Google and everything pops up for you, um, how all of that works, I try to balance that, how the bots see it, with how humans see it. So you described me as um, a communications professional, but one of the things that is quite interesting that most people don't know about me is that when I went to um, Florida State University to earn my degree, it was not actually in communications. What was so it? What'd you, I, what'd you do? Actually, yeah. Um, my undergraduate degree is actually, um, it's in international relations, but where I focused was anthropology and economics. Whoa. And what I studied <laughs> was the culture of people. Yes. And how people as, um, as, as organizations, as entities, as tribes, if you will, how they, um, how they operate, operate, what's their, their modus operandi. And I work in that space, um, partially because of, um, partially because at the time that I, I, it's, it's, I find this to be a very interesting story. Um, I was going to Florida State University and I was getting ready to work on my master's thesis. And part of my capstone project involved me um, doing what's called an, ethno, um, an ethnography. So when you're an anthropologist by trade, part of what you need to do is go and immerse yourself into a community of people um, and study it from the inside out. Whereas the opposite for like a sociologist, for example, they study culture from the outside in. Um, I, I, my, my whole goal was to study it from the inside out. Well, um, I was had all sorts of great plans, and um, I was supposed to actually go to Kenya. I had scored an internship, and I was going to be working at um, a clinic for women and girls, a health clinic for women and girls in Kenya, and I was super, super excited about this opportunity. Okay. And I went into the doctor's office to... Um, to get all of my vaccinations, to get my um, my visa to travel. And at the time, one of the questions that they ask you, this is 2005, is, you know, could you be pregnant? And I took a moment. I was like, no. They're like, well, we have to run a test anyways. So as it turns out, that's how I discovered that I was pregnant with my son, Jacob, wow. and who is now 14 and a half. And basically they said, and you're not going to go to Africa. <laughs> so A, I'm confronted with a whole bunch of things. One is, hey, God had other plans for me and I had to be okay with that. Two, oh my God, you're pregnant. And at one point the doctors told you that you weren't going to have babies. So let's celebrate with your husband. Um, and three, oh my gosh, what am I going to do for my master's thesis now? Well, around that time, um, a young man named Zuckerberg up in New England had just published Bank Smash. And interesting story, it was it was blooming and like it was um, I, I was a student at Florida State University and it was first um, only available to students at major universities. So I kind of got in on the ground floor. I already knew about MySpace and a couple of the other things that were out there, but I saw this kind of 
blossom and everyone's on it. Everyone's talking about it. So I pitched to my professor at the time, um, can I study the culture of, of, of this emerging thing called the Facebook? And at the time, the the was still there. And I started just kind of diving into it. Now, that didn't get to be my, like, absolute capstone. And, like, I didn't write a paper all about social media. But because I pitched it, I did start to study it from an anthropological perspective of how people behave, of what choices they make, of how they reinvent themselves. So quite literally, I've been studying the, the human behavior and choices of the social media culture since 2005. What have you found out That's about that story. culture? <laughs> what have you found out about that culture and how do we behave in a digital world as opposed to face to face? What did you find out in your studies? So um, interesting enough, um, and, and this, I'm going to make some sweeping generalizations that I would caution anybody not to make, um, because as with all things, there are nuances. Um, behaviors, just like they do in the real world, um, alter by race. They alter by age. They alter by socioeconomic status. They alter by um, educational levels of, of the user. Um, um, but what at the time that I was really diving in and studying is how people would reinvent themselves. Now, now this is a, a common phenomenon, especially young, uh, among young people today um, who, who are more like they're more apt to be on Instagram or TikTok than they are, say, on Facebook or Twitter. Um, but this constant reinventing yourself and how you put yourself out there. So previously, imagine it's Sunday morning and you're going to church, right? Okay. How do people typically get ready for church, right? They put on their Sunday best. Um, my, my husband's, uh, the culture that he's from, women on Sunday morning, they, they wear hats. And I don't know about like from with with the churches that you go to with the women. Yes, indeed. Wear hats. We, we call it the, the big hat crew. The big hat crew. <laughs> right, the big hat crew. Now they don't wear those Sunday hats any other day, right? Like no. they wear them for probably events where you're going to go to church, maybe to a wedding, maybe to a funeral, right? Things that like you get dressed up for. You, you put your best foot forward. In the same way that if we're going to go for a job interview. We, we gussy ourselves up a little bit, right? We, we want to make ourselves look really good, whether it's, you know, the nice heels that you pull out or you're going you're gonna to tie your tie a little bit more appropriately because you want to make an impression. It's all about the arena. individual who sees you 100%. So social media is like that, that you get to put your best foot forward, and that's really how it started and that people – kind of started filtering their lives. The, the hard stuff that people don't want to talk about wasn't really being discussed at first. It was always the good stuff. And the algorithm, especially in Facebook, recognizes this. So when you post something that is a milestone post, it's your birthday, you just gave birth to a baby, you're celebrating your anniversary, you just got a new job, you just graduated from college, you just got into college, the, the, the algorithm, the bots that are reading that are so clued into that, that social emotional health that it automatically is going to bump up those milestone celebrations higher 
um, in, in a news feed so more and more people will see them because it releases endorphins when we could just celebrate the good. Now, because of that, people started just like putting their just best foot forward. Well, then they also discovered that they can just put a fake foot forward as well. So <laughs> this was a really interesting phenomenon to watch emerge is seeing people reinvent themselves or tell kind of these, these fake stories about themselves or whatever it might be. So, and, and we know, I mean, this happens in real life too. People lie all the time. They, they make up things. Um, but now we're seeing it play out in this digital space in this much easier way where it's harder to discern fact from fiction. And so that's been another thing that, that has emerged. Um, you know, really another really interesting thing emerged was this concept of mental health. And in fact, one of the social media platforms um, attempted, and, and they, they did a fairly good job at it, to help mitigate some of the, what, what we call the, the like obsession, right? So imagine a, imagine a person, they post something, say it's on Instagram, and if they don't get enough likes or engagement by a certain time, they, they somehow interpret that as they're not good enough. Yeah. They're not worthy enough. Yeah, everybody's looking and for the likes. <laughs> everybody is looking for the likes. And and listen, our our advertising agencies that are out there, I still remember um I don't remember the name of the company, but I will never forget the guy's face. There's two gentlemen, they're riding in a car, one is like glued to his phone doing something, and he drops his phone, looks at his friend who's driving, and he's like, One hundred likes and he has this space, right, of, mm. like, just completely shock and awe. Oh, my gosh, I hit 100 likes. And, again, I, I don't actually remember the name of the company. And maybe <laughs> it was a Facebook ad. Who knows? I don't remember what was being sold or who was selling it. What I remember is it was the feeling of I'm part of something. I'm included. People see me. People like me. And that has started – this, what I call the, the Sunday morning phenomenon, but it's every day. Um, so what you wear to church, what, like, like getting dressed up to your nines or, or being ready for that, you know, got to get the, the beach bot on for the wedding that I'm going to be in or whatever it is, that, that kind of rat race of somehow you being you as you is not good enough. And so this company, and I'm sure that you've heard of it, <laughs> it's called Snapchat. Um, you would post. You would post an image, and yes, it goes away after 24 hours, but what they did away with is the likes, mm. so that you're not tapping to, like, approve something. And when you hear people from the company talk about it, it was to help address this, um, this like obsession, this, like, I, I got to get that, that, like, wanting to break that endorphin fix of, of did, I get, did, did I get another like, did I get somebody else, um, to view it or, or whatever it might be. Now, we can talk all day about social media, but I'm sure that there's plenty of other things to talk about, but I will share one more. Oh, please go ahead. Go ahead. The digital space is helping bring together people in new and meaningful ways that didn't connect before. So for example, I married a man that I met in another country and convinced him that the weather in Scotland was far inferior to the weather in Florida. And he looks really good in short, so he should move to Florida and all of that. 
fast forward, we've been together for um, over 20 years, married for, we're celebrating 16 years this summer. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, And together for over 20 now. Um, Last month, I realized I've been with with Ian, my husband, for for more than half my life. And so that's kind of a an aha moment, at least for someone who likes to consider herself still young. Um, and his family is still all overseas. So we have nieces and nephews. I have sisters and a mother-in-law, and um, they all live in Scotland. So how else would my family, his family, be able to watch our children grow? Hello, social media. Hello, Facebook. Hello, Zoom calls. Hello, a uh, uh, WhatsApp that I'm able to have free text messaging conversations with my 12-year-old niece. Um, these digital platforms have taken our global world and indeed made it smaller so that we're able to stay connected. And not only that, it's creating opportunities to, to learn and connect in other meaningful ways. For example, um, here in Tallahassee, we have something that's hosted by the Village Square that's called the God Squad. And I remember, oh, goodness, many, many years ago, being um, at one of these God Squad lunch and learns at First Baptist Church downtown and talking about uh, prayer on Facebook um, or prayer warriors or asking people to support you. And I will tell you some of my darkest moments that I've been through and some of the darkest moments that my friends have been through, we have turned and relied on social media to help connect us to one another, to lift us up and carry us through those dark times. So while I know nothing will replace the gathering of people in a physical space together, um, social has provided opportunities for us to build relationships where maybe we wouldn't have been able to before. And I think that this was happening, really, this was already happening. And then when COVID-19 hit and this global pandemic has forced so many of us to stay home, I think everyone started to get it at that point. Wow. You're listening to Mr. Speaker Speaks. And my guest today is the chief strategist and creator, Holly McPhail of Winwood Communications. She is a digital strategist. When you were talking about all of this connectivity with regard to the digital space, everything that's out there, all of these different platforms, in your opinion, we're able to really communicate via all of these platforms, but are we truly making those lasting connections human to human over a digital space i think it i think like with anything um you could argue one way or the other if you're doing it effectively and you're doing it with heart and you're doing it authentically then i think that you can if you view these digital platforms as just another medium that you have to check a box for you're going to miss the opportunity. Um, I'll give you an example. Without going into specifics about some clients, um, I was asked to, uh, I'm going to say, swoop in. There was some, uh, one of my clients had some staffing changes, 
and their social media was not being utilized the most effectively because really the people who were using it didn't really know how because they were just posting things without giving thought to who their audience really was and how they can engage that audience most effectively. So when you take a step back from that and you view digital platforms as not like a TV ad that you don't necessarily know who's going to, to see other than say people who are watching football on channel seven um, on this particular day, right? Sure. That's an opportunity about as much targeting as you can do, but it's, you want to use your platform to build it, build awareness around an issue, to build ambassadors for your cause. And you have to, one of my favorite phrases is think of it as a telephone, excuse me, a telephone and not a megaphone. Hmm. It's not a, another billboard for you to put out there. Think of it as an opportunity for a one-to-one conversation where you have a specific person in mind that you might be posting something for. When people feel that connection, and I mean, this is, I mean, that is advertising, really. You, you think about that person who, who you are, who you want to reach, and you apply that. When you take that same concept and apply it at the social level or, or on your digital, and right, this applies to, um, social media channels and activity websites are a little bit different, um, but even metadata on a website when you are talking about um, optimizing your your site for search engine results, it it matters to to be human, to be authentically you, um, whatever your brand is. Figure who that is and and own it. Do I think that you can build lasting relationships over digital platforms? My answer is wholeheartedly yes. Otherwise, Match.com would not be doing so well. Seriously, the marriages of my friends that I've talked to more recently, I say, hey, where did you meet? We met online. Hey, where did you meet? We met online. If you survey your friends and you find out how people met, you're going to find that the, the traditional ways that we're used to from back in the day are, are slowly being replaced by, maybe not even slowly, are quickly being replaced by digital connections. Now, let's, let's stop looking back for a moment and let's start looking forward, right? We have the, the next frontier, if you will, with augmented reality and how people can connect in a physical sense with one another by playing games, by, um, I mean, we, we can work out together now from the comfort of your, your own home, but be at the gym with your best friend right next to you. And in these ways, you can still augment your outfit that you wear. You, I mean, all of this is happening and it's available technology right now um, at a cost, of course. Well, as technology continues to innovate, how are these going to impact our daily lives of how we connect, of how we hang out? Um, just recently, for example, one of my best friends, she lives down in Miami. She's getting ready to get married. I'm super excited for her. And when we want to do a girl's night out or, or a happy hour, um, 
funny enough, we jump on our FaceTime and we are in our own living rooms in our pajamas or whatever it is that we're wearing and we're having a girls' night out. And it's funny because our significant others are like, what are you doing? Like, it's girls' night out. And they're like, but you're not out. We're like, yeah, I know, because we're hanging out right here with the person we want to hang out with. So, yes, unabashedly, my answer is, can real connections be made across digital platforms? Absolutely. And they're happening. They've happened in the, the frontier of with augmented reality and um, lots of other things that I don't know enough about today, but come back to me in a year's time. And I'm going to be able to tell you about even more in terms of what's happening on that next level. This is very, very interesting because I take a look at all of the different platforms and I, I look at it from the business perspective, the personal perspective, what effect, and, and we're, we're going to transition because I, I want to find out some more about you, um, the person, and what really got you into this industry. What effect do you think social media is having with the younger generation? And here's why I'm, where, where I'm going, and this troubles me um, because I look at the various posts, and I'm just going to talk about Instagram, and when I look at the photos, especially of young women they're the majority of the time they're provocative they're they're showing so much of themselves do you think that it's gonna is having a, a a bad effect a bad influence on people because you know there used to be a time when you would leave something to the imagination but now it's just it's almost like shock and awe what can i do next do you think that is, is helping or hurting a younger generation when it comes to these digital platforms? You know, I, I've, I've struggled with this a little bit. Um, as a mother of a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old, and um, what I like to say, I'm, I'm the, the fake mother of, of two girls that live across the street, one who is now um, a, a junior, I guess, at USF, go Bulls. She... Um, We've had this conversation. My immediate reaction as a parent is, oh, my gosh, can you, I, this is, it's unacceptable, these photos, the way, like, these beach photos, all of that. And then I realized, wait a minute, this isn't new. This isn't different. We've been doing it. We just didn't have photo proof in a news feed before. Take it back culture, from a cultural perspective. Women and men have been decorating their bodies in different ways, shapes, or forms to become more attractive, more appealing, more powerful, whatever it is, um, since the beginning of humanity and civilization. It's been happening. And how we project it, how we portray it, has always occurred. And if I look back and think about the things that my mother might have said about the pictures or the poses or what I wore or my shorts were too short, my straps were too skinny. Um, that was all happening in the 90s. And then I look at my mom and I've seen the pictures of her when she was in the, in the 60s and 70s. Her dress was too short. Her hair was too long. She didn't wear a bra. I mean, this has been occurring. So while it feels a little bit like shock and awe because now the role that I'm in is a parent instead of 
being the the rebellious teenager, I don't think that the behavior itself um, has changed. Now, that said, I'm not going to be ignorant to the fact that there are individuals that are out there that do prey on um, on on these images. Most definitely. And that, and that 20 years ago, or maybe I mean 20 years ago, it probably still existed. 40 years ago, was were things like human trafficking and child pornography were these things? Probably were they at the scale that they're at today? I don't think so. I, I don't have any research to prove that, but my gut tells me I don't think so. So I think that we have a responsibility to to help our young people and our future leaders of tomorrow understand that while these digital platforms are fun and can feel like this new technology that's bringing people together, it has to be done in responsible manners and responsible ways. And that ultimately, I, I do I, I am a believer that a lot of that education about how to use digital platforms responsibly mm. does start in, with conversations in the home. And if adults don't know how to use them responsibly, then why should there be an expectation that, that young people use them responsibly? I, I think with, with most things that, that can be a blessing or a curse, it's that double-edged sword that um, with great opportunity comes great responsibility. Most definitely. I totally agree. You know, there's always good and there's always bad associated with progress. It's just which avenue, which road do you want to take? When you look at all that you were, you could have done in your life, where you've been and how you got into, (laughs) (laughs) and, and you know, how you, you know, how did you get into this business with all that you have in your background, all that you have in your arsenal, with all that you've experienced in your life. Um, Why digital communications? What brought you here? So that's a funny story. Um, I'm immediately reminded of, you know, sometimes when you go to conferences or meetings and they have these icebreakers and it's like, what did you want to be? Like when you were 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you grow up? And um, I wanted to be a rockette. I wanted to be a dancer. I love to dance. I still love to dance. Um, I was flexible. I was good. And I had the opportunity at the age of 10 to audition for the Joffrey Ballet. And I will never forget this woman. Her name was Dorothy Lister. She was uh, a prima ballerina, an older an older woman. At the time, at age 10, of course, I thought she was ancient. Um, <laughs> and she said to me, you have skills, but you do not have the body. You will never be a ballerina. You should quit now. Really? And I, Yeah. Yeah. And I did. I was devastated. I was heartbroken. I wanted to be a ballerina. I was good. I, I had a couple of other opportunities to explore the cap and modern and some other things like that. But I will never forget how small that small woman made me feel. Now, partner this with a couple of other things that, that happened in my childhood. Um, unfortunately, um, like too many people, I experienced abuse and neglect as a child, 
and at the hands of someone in the home, someone that I knew, and um, that abuse and neglect was was fairly significant, fairly egregious um, in a lot of ways. There are things that I had to endure as a young person starting at, in my memory at the age of six that a young girl should never, no child should ever, I don't care what age or what gender you are, should ever have to endure. And in that moment of Dorothy Lister telling me I will never be, a lot of those years of, of, of abuse of being told what to do, what I can't do, who I am, whom, I, whom I'm allowed to tell, um, a lot of it came back. And I truly believed that I wouldn't become my dreams, that I, that I couldn't become my dreams. And I definitely went into a period of rebellion and angst, like like all teens do. But mine, I think, was a little bit dramatic. Um, I don't believe that I thought I was lovable. And if I'm not lovable, then why would... No wonder my family didn't protect me. No wonder God allowed these terrible things to happen to me. No wonder this tiny woman crashed my my dreams as a young person. Um, no wonder. And I, I turned to some of the wrong things. And I, I shared this because it was a very dark period in my life and around... <laughs> Um, it's actually May 18th, 1997. I had kind of a, people talk about that come to Jesus moment in their life. Well, I, I, I had one of those. And I understand. And, I had one too. Right. You, you kind of, you find a, a rock bottom that you thought you had already hit before, but now you're at the real one. And I was, I was 16 years old. Now, I think that most people in life probably don't have those moments until later but I was 16 and that lesson you know from age 10 to 16 and after enduring years of abuse and all the lessons like kind of wrapped up and, and all of that um I decided that I was going to let God use me to let God lead me to ask him where I needed to go and to kind of put that faith in each step that I took. And so there was a little bit of blind following. Now I, I talked to my kids, I'm raising kids today and I'm like, okay, you got to have a plan. I know you're only 14, but come on, you need to plan. What do you want to do? What are you thinking you want to do? And I, I know I'm putting a little bit of pressure and every now and then I hear that little whisper of step back and let God. And that was what I learned to do at the age of 16 and to allow myself to just be and to every time that there was a uh, a decision point, whether I needed to make a choice or make a decision. I've recently learned about the difference between those two concepts. Um, but every time that I came to that crossroads of do I go left, do I go right, or do I forge forward with a path that I need to just trust? Um, I've learned to listen and to discern each of those paths. And sometimes I've chosen wrong and I've learned lessons 
Sometimes I've chosen right and I've been rewarded. Sometimes I've had complete and utter, utter faith and it's always worked out. So I, I've in the past joked around about my, my journey has not been like a, a career ladder, but more like a jungle gym where I've been kind of running all over the playground, trying new different things. Jungle gym was fun though. <laughs> all of that. The jungle gym was Indeed. fun. Yeah, you get to do a lot of different it things. Was. Yeah. Absolutely. And I learned to so then I think that I amassed all of these skills. So whether I, you know, from one of my very first jobs, I, I actually was a, a cashier at Chick-fil-A. It was one of my very first jobs. And um the people skills that you learn, right? how you how you are able to manage and even just like that quick math when people say oh my gosh math is so terrible when am I ever going to use it I'm like oh I know I, I used to use math all the time right or if we were if there was employees at the mall that said that they want they, they got a discount I would challenge myself right to like use that math um so I acquired some math skills one of my other jobs was you know um, I, I managed um a retail shop I learned how to manage people another job that I had kind of growing up. And these are all this just like those little jobs that you have while you're, you know, going to school. Um, I mean, even with waiting tables and, and how you learn to, to manage and to uh, multitask or carry lots of different, I think every young person at some point in their life should wait tables. Yeah. Um, you got, you got to work in the restaurant if industry. If you're good at it or not good at it. Yes. Yeah. You have to figure out like if you're able to deal with that pressure. Well, then after that, it just turned into um, opportunities that presented themselves and and kind of following God's path before me. When um, when I was in college, I actually, I collapsed one night working. I was a waitress at TGI Fridays, and I collapsed. I had um, uh, ended up having a medical emergency that I had to have surgery for and um, and got really sick after that. And I discovered, oh, my gosh, I need health insurance to pay for all of these bills. So I ended up leaving, you know, the restaurant industry. I'm still in college. And I took a a job at the state of Florida working in the finance and accounting department at at the Department of Health just as kind of like on a whim um, because I needed to have access to benefits. So my life circumstances pre- like dictated where I needed to go. And when I landed there, I allowed my different skill sets to learn um, or to, to expand my different skill sets and to utilize those. Um, so in some ways, I feel like I was always this intrapreneur at all of these different jobs because I was whatever position I was in, I was learning that skill set. And then adding it to my my tote bag or my tool belt, if you will. And then an opportunity came available and I would take it. Or then I started experiencing kind of the, the head hunting opportunities where someone had worked with me over in a different department and they thought think I would be perfect for this job. And what's really interesting in my faith journey towards my career has been how God has truly navigated it and matched it to knowledge acquisition that I needed to succeed in my life. And and what I mean by that is this. When I was birthing my babies and learning about breastfeeding, I had the opportunity to work for an organization 
that was focused solely on like that zero to five continuum. Okay. Right. So it was all about super early childhood stuff. Um, zero to five, right. It, it's, you know, infant maternal and reproductive health stuff. And I learned about a lot of things well, in that, in that time of becoming a mother and, and raising children at a very young age. Um, I had, I'm not going to call it a, a, a breakdown, but I had an op, Hmm. Maybe I could call it a breakdown. In essence, I experienced the baby blues, um, postpartum depression after my second baby, um, and all of the abuse that I endured as a young person came flooding back. And at that time, I was working for an organization called Healthy Families Florida, which is focused on the prevention of child abuse. So here I was working in a job that was help that was designed to help women like me overcome the traumas of their past so that they could raise healthy and productive children. And so I, I, I joked around and said, you know, like, I, I'm not only the president, I'm a client type of thing, right? Like that whole uh, advertisement joke back in the day. Um, it was like, yeah, I, I not only work here, but I, I'm a client. Um, I learned about the Adverse Childhood Experiences um, survey, um, what's called ACEs, which is kind of a, a topic of conversation for young people that have experienced trauma and, and how you incur resiliency. I learned about protective factors and all the things that you um, can put in a child's life so that even if adverse childhood experiences do occur or you experience them, them as an individual, how you can build those protective factors. I felt like through my job that, that I wholeheartedly believe that the universe, God, creator, spirit, guide, whatever you want to call, um, call it, landed me there specifically because I not only had things that I could contribute, but I also had things that I needed to learn. Um, fast forward to one of my clients that I'm working with right now is the Florida After School Network, and I have children, right, that have just graduated out of um, kind of the, the after school program age, but one of the big programs or focuses that this particular client has is on expanding the entrepreneurial mindset of today's youth. So I find it uncanny that I'm now out there living this entrepreneurial life. Of, of starting my own business um, almost two years ago, it'll be two years on July 15th, and being successful at it. Not only that, um, being being a, a woman and a mother and being able to like find that balance has been an awesome journey. So to suffice it to say, um, my journey started with wanting to be a rocket, having my dreams crushed, and then just having faith and kind of floating around and I'm sure at times my parents thought like, oh my gosh, is she ever going to decide what she wants to do, what she wants to be? I remember being 30 years old and I was like, gosh, what do I want to be when I grow up? I still hadn't figured it out. And I guess that my message is sometimes um, you don't have to figure it out. Sometimes um, if, you're, if you have faith and you can capitalize on the opportunities that are put in front of you, that it gets figured out for you. If you're willing to listen and follow, sometimes blindly, sometimes it's that that leap, um, if you will. But in all of those jobs, I mean, I mean, even I think back at the Florida Department of Health, um, 
taking training that uh, these these different workers needed and, and turning them online. So they would they used to do these in person trainings, and there was a lot of content that people had to get um, to earn their certification. And one of my first jobs, and this was um, this was right after I had Jacob. So this is like 2006. One of my first jobs was converting in-person training into a digital platform and working at the Florida Department of Health to redesign web pages. And it, we were using Microsoft front page. So for those of you that are listening <laughs> that are web designers and understand content management systems or straight up coding, right? Like we were using front page. It was the absolute worst. But so I started learning to write and read HTML and CSS back then. And it was just one of those other duties as assigned. You know, that, that, fi- that the 5% of it. Yes. That's what I found myself doing and being intrigued by it. And because nobody else really wanted to do it, um, kind of nerding out a little bit. And I think that at that moment there at the Department of Health, I, I remember um, the, the chief information officer. That's what I would call them now. I have no idea if that was his title back then. Um, like meeting with him and like wanting to dive into the mechanics of it and and. To, to be fair, I'll, I'll even share this, and maybe this is why I'm such a fan of, of, of digital platforms, um, just to rewind a little bit, because maybe it started even before then. Um, I told you that I, I struggled a little bit and, and had that little come-to-Jesus moment in 1997. Yes. Um, well, that was after I was expelled from high school. And Not I you, Holly. In a you, weren't, you weren't kicked yes. out of school. Yes. I was expelled from Lincoln High School here in Tallahassee. And I joined a dropout prevention program at Rickards High School. And most people, they're like, oh, what high school did you go to? And I'm very proud to say that I went to Rickards. And they're like, oh, were you an IB kid? And that's so presumptuous. And I'm like, no, actually, I was in dropout prevention. And it was a computer lab in the basement where we caught up and did our schoolwork online. I'm not kidding you. That's how I ended up graduating from high school was by completing my coursework online. And this is before all of the stuff that we have today. I was one of those, those first students. So wow, it just um, sounds just like learned. your life. <laughs> it sounds like everything in your life prepared you for where you are today with Winwood Communications. It's, you know, using a, an old terminology, it seemed like it was just in time. It looked like every job was just in time with where you were, with what you were going through. And it set the stage for you to develop and acquire the skills that you needed to do what you're doing today with Winwood Communications. Would that be a proper um, assumption? totally accurate. And I think that that's why the premise of my business is so focused on, I'm very picky about my clients. I have turned clients down. I have had pitches from um, potential partners to take on, I'm going to call them big fish. And I, I don't want to be that provider. I want to be the just in time solution for those that might be struggling. And, and maybe I would love to be, you know, not the just in time, but like the before the before you hit that point of just in time. Um, 
But because I feel like so much of my life has been those lessons that I learned just in time, I want to help people maximize and amplify their mission statement, their vision for if it's their small business or their nonprofit or whatever it might be, I want to teach them on how to be more effective at, at what they're doing as opposed to just doing it for them. That's definitely part of my model. And um, I, it, it's a fun part, right? Like I want to help people find solutions to, um, to the issues that they're experiencing or, or learn how to, you know, to, you know, manipulate the social media channels that are so adept at manipulating the users, um, help them, help them do that and, and maybe serve in that kind of just in time aspect. Um, for example, today I, I was giving, uh, I, I was completing an SEO audit, a search engine optimization audit for, for a small business. Um, one of my clients that are out of state because they're getting ready to run an ad campaign and that like they're about to invest money into a marketing strategy that if they had not done this SEO audit is going to cost them more money in to, to reach this, to, to reach fewer people as opposed to um, utilizing the information and the training that I provided for them and now they're going to be able to get more bang for their buck. And it was just in time because um, those ads are going to start running in, in just a few days and now they're able to tweak them. So it's just little lessons that if I'm able to use the lessons that I've learned to help others, that is an important part of my mission. Um, and that's a, that's a big part of, of my story. Now, we don't try to be big and flashy. Um, I don't do a lot of marketing for my own business because um, just like I am in real life, I think my businesses as well, we're the person behind the person. Our goal is not to um, make me shine or make, make us shine. Our goal is to make the client shine and to be so seamless that people aren't thinking, Oh wow, that site is beautiful, or that's you know the their social media strategy is spot on. I wonder who they hired. I want them it to feel so authentic and seamless that all they see is the client. That's my goal, and wow. that's kind of brings wow. us full circle to that concept of citherism. You can't see it, you can hear it, and you can feel it. And just like you can see the effects of wind on leaves in the tree, right? Mm -hmm. That's wind with communications. That's a persuasive message. That is a strategic um, communications delivery model. Well, I'm going to make you shine. I'm going to let them hear the wind and I'm going to let them feel <laughs> the effects of it right now because I'm going to ask you the question, Holly. If I'm a company out there and I'm listening, and I'm listening to everything that you're saying and all that you're able to do. Why should I choose Winwood communication to help me to blow into all of the situations, all of the places, all the platforms that I need to be on? Why Winwood? Because we'll be an extension of you. It's as simple as that. 
we're going to utilize years of experience and expertise, and it's going to be custom to who your brand is. Now, on a personal note, I'll also share, I'm the, I'm the individual that's going to tell you like it is. I, I don't sugarcoat things. I, I don't try to hide things. I don't try to pull one over on you. Um, it's important to me that the individuals that I work with, um, I check their heart because I know where my heart is. And like I said, um, I'm probably not the perfect fit for any and all companies because I'm selective. And if you know that your cause is worthy, I'm going to help you build that and get that out there in ways that you probably haven't even thought about. And when I say, because I'm an extension of you, if you've built a business and you're passionate about it, I have discovered, especially in the entrepreneurial world, that no one else cares about your success quite as much or quite like you do. That's it's that true. commitment to quality. You're absolutely right. And when I say I'm an extension of you, I care about your success by learning where you want to go and how to help you get there. That's why. That's what Winwood does. In this day and age, I know it can be challenging to be an entrepreneur and to be a woman. I just how things are and I'm not saying that it's right and I'm well I'm going to say it's not right um what would you say to that young woman right now who's aspiring to be an entrepreneur aspiring to have their own business to be like Holly what would you tell them put on your shoes and watch out for glass because that <laughs> feeling has broken for the first time ever, we have a woman in the White House. She might not be president yet, but it's coming. It is coming, and it's coming fast, and it's coming hard. And women, really, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it back. Remember how I said I, I, I studied anthropology? Do you mm -hmm. know how many cultures around our world are matriarchal, where the woman is the power, where the woman decides, where, where people turn to the woman? And somehow in our society, it got flipped on its head. And at one point, we were considered property of men. No more. No how. I know that we changed that. And some of that mentality stands. But like I said, put on some shoes and watch out for glass because that ceiling is broken. And I will be damned if another Dorothy Lister out there tells a 10-year-old girl that she cannot be, that she cannot achieve, that she cannot reach that point of what she wants. Because women, we can. We can do anything and everything from, from an, be an astronaut on the moon. Just recently with the um, after-school folks, we, we got to interview a woman astronaut that was in the International Space Station, right? We can be astronauts. We can be we can be doctors, we can be lawyers, we can be judges, we can be the vice president of the United States of America. We can. And it is an exciting time and opportunity for us. And no more do we have to be made to feel small. And it is our opportunity to step up and be tall and to claim the space that we have meant to be from the beginning of time. 
That was a strong and powerful wind. <laughs> I felt it blowing over here. I felt it come across uh, the, the airwaves here. It was a great wind. It was like the cool, refreshing wind on a hot summer's day. That was a strong wind. And I concur. <laughs> oh, Holly, it has truly been a pleasure finding out about you. And I'm just going to use the, the phrase that's on your website at winwoodcommunications.com. Listing audience, please go there and check her out because that's where you can find out more about the woman behind Winwood. And she is truly not just a woman, but a phenomenal woman. And I'm going to go deeper to say that she is a Proverbs and 31 woman. And if you don't know what that is, you got to go check it out. <laughs> you got to go find it and check it out. My final question, Holly, before we close, Mr. Speaker wants you to answer this question. You've lived a great life. Offline, we've talked about you've had multiple lives, some would say. But in all of your living and all that you've done, what matters most to Holly? Family. You're going to make me cry. I got a little teary eyed there. It's all right to cry on Mr. Speaker Speak. You're you're on podcast. You're not on TV, so nobody sees. Exactly. I got that face for radio. It's great. Um, Family, I think that growing up in a dysfunctional family and not knowing what was going to happen through the night, um, to... To have the support of a loving husband today to venture out and start my own business and do and do what I'm doing, to have the support of my two children who see me, right, mm-hmm. creating this lifestyle, creating this opportunity, but to press pause and say, yes, I work hard and the hustle is real, folks. Like, it is real. Um, this allows me to be home when they get home from school. This allows me that when the kiddo is sick and I have to shift priorities, I have absolutely zero qualms about telling anyone that I'm working with that I I have to postpone that meeting or no, I can't attend because my family comes first. And in the same way that when folks that I'm working with, whether they're clients or partners um, or or even my, my employees, when they tell me something in life has come up, that's my motto, family first. You never, ever have to apologize to me for choosing family over work. And um, I remember a moment when I was uh, earlier in my career, um, I remember sitting with an executive director. I think I was always destined to work for myself. And I will tell you this, once you work for yourself, I don't know that you can ever go back. Like I've had a couple of job offers like since and like, Oh, you don't put your name into that. Or will you consider this ED position over here? And I'm like, I don't know if I can ever go back to like uh, a traditional workspace or work environment where I'm not working for myself. So I'm just going to kind of toss that out there because um, this, This idea of family and being so family focused and putting family first is so important to me. Um, And I remember this moment in that in my career. I want to say it was 2007, maybe, um, maybe a little bit later. 
I was sitting with the executive director and she said, you know, what are the priorities in your life? And I was like, well, um, my kids, my, my marriage, um, my faith. And she looks at me and she goes, well, where does working for this company fit in that? And I paused mm. and I said, it's not in my top five. And she had this look on her face of complete and utter disappointment. And she said, that's a real shame because I was hoping that you would go places here. Wow. That almost sounds like the ballet instructor. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe I've had those moments, but if I, if I take it this way and um, just recently I was on this fantastic clubhouse chat and we were talking about, you have to, to grow through what you go through. And I think about, um, all of these moments in my life that could have been devastating to my, my psyche, to my, um, my motivation, to whatever it might be. Here I was thinking I was doing a kick-ass job at, at whatever position I was in, and then to be kind of told that I, I wasn't quite the right fit. And that's happened to me in multiple situations. I ha- there have been times when I, where I have, um, I have determined that I was not quite the right fit, or they have determined I was not quite the right fit. And, and I've moved on and, and taken some really spectacular lessons from, from each of those life experiences. Um, but to be told that, that you're not right, like that you're, you know, you're not going to have, sorry, your body size is the wrong fit. You're not going to be a ballerina. Sorry if working here isn't in your top, isn't your top priority, then you're not going to grow here. Um, to be told that repeatedly over and over and over again. I think is what has built my resiliency to in my practice here at Windwood with my partners, with my clients, with my staff, you never have to ask me to put family first. It is always okay. And I will always not only grant that, 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 that freedom to choose family first, I will also celebrate it with you and, and ask about it with you because I'm, I'm going to practice what I preach in that regard. So um, yes, without, without a doubt, family, that's the most important thing. Why, why I choose to run my business the way that I choose to run my business is for my children. Why, when I've been railroaded and, and walked over by certain people, that I've been super open about my failures and my, um, my challenges, and I talk about them with my kids, what I want them to see when they look at me is not only their mom who was there to, you know, clean up their boo-boos or tuck them into bed at night or, or wake them up with gentle strokes on their face every morning, which I still almost do, even though one of them is in high school. Um, I want them to not only see that loving mother character, I also want them to see a strong woman who doesn't let the world walk all over her. Um, who's willing to stand up when she needs to, who's willing to fight for those that are weaker than she is, and 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 to be an advocate in our community and being involved in fighting for what's right. I want them to see that and have that experience um, because women are capable of being more than than just housewives or moms right? We wear a whole bunch of different hats and we are powerful. And, um, 
I'm raising two boys. Um, and I'll, I'll put in there, I'm raising two white boys. And I, I say that because I recognize that they are the most privileged class. Um, and it's my responsibility as their mother to help them leverage what they have for good. And that's what I'm doing at Windblood. We're helping companies, small businesses, nonprofits, leverage their power, their voice for good. Leveraging it for good. And it's all about family. Holly, <laughs> this has been powerful. It has been enlightening. And I hate to say it's got to be over now, but, oh, I got to have you back. My listening audience, <laughs> those that are listening to Mr. Speaker Speaks right now, please go check her out. WinwoodCommunications.com. You need a digital strategy for your business, Winwood Communications. Why? Because they're building community online and in real life. But not only that, but it's being built by a woman who really understands what real life is all about. Holly, it's truly been a pleasure having you today. Any last words before I take us out? It's been my honor. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. It's been blessings on your head, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> and blessings on you too. It's been a real pleasure. I tell you, it's been a real pleasure today. Oh my goodness. You've been listening to Mr. Speaker Speaks. Remember, visit me at VincentTEdwards.com. Join the online community at VincentOnDemand.com. You know, life is all about purpose. Do you know yours? Listening today, my guest Holly knows her purpose. Remember, in all that you do, be magnificent. And until next time, be good, be blessed. But most of all, be a blessing to someone. See ya. <laughs>